Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Right, we're live on Facebook. Nice. That was quite pain-free. It only took you 20 minutes to work out how to go live on Facebook. Oh, um, on, man. I'm a lot older than you. These things take me time. Not too much older, just a couple of years. Right, uh, hello everyone. And uh, welcome to the Property Duo Show. Uh, this is episode five. Is episode is episode five? Hold on, wow, we've been five weeks. Five... five weeks. So we've been in lockdown for five weeks minimum. Yep. That's almost six weeks. I don't know why, but six weeks just sounds feels very significant. Okay. Um, you know, today we are going to talk about a few topics. Three topics. Uh, one of them is. It's quite painful, maybe, for, for one of the founding members of the property duo. And if it's not me, it's obviously you. Uh, today is a certain anniversary, James, which we'll get to, I think. Is it today or yesterday? Um, but before that, our usual. Any updates from you uh, in lockdown? Are you fighting anyone else? Any more legal issues? What's going on? Yeah, I'm fighting a couple of people, man. I'm always fighting someone. So uh, one is, uh, I'll start with a personal issue, obviously. Um, I, I live in a Victorian house, a converted house where I'm on the top floor uh, flat at the moment. Uh, it was supposed to be a temporary thing, but somehow uh, we've been here for the last six years and haven't moved out because it's quite a nice thing. So I've got a bit of a war going on with the lady downstairs who claims that my bathroom is leaking. I've said it's not leaking. She keeps saying it's leaking. I say it's not leaking. We're back and forth on that shit. Uh, is it leaking? Yeah, it's probably leaking a little bit when you've got two young kids. They're, you know, when they're in the bath, you know a kid is never going to have a bath where the water stays in the bath, so there's a possibility it could be seeping through. So I've got a bit of a legal battle on my hands with my neighbour, uh, which is nice. We've She moved in three years ago. We've never we've shared one word, and that was, fuck off. And that was it. We never spoke again. So I'm, I'm normally a nice person, but when someone like this comes along, it was just like one of those typical, she's one of those uh, surgeons who just thinks she's the shit and her shit doesn't stink. She's better than everybody else. I've never seen her ever have a visitor in all the time that I've lived here. I haven't seen any friends come around. So it kind of tells you the kind of person she is. She's never even cleaned her windows, man. That's just nasty. Get out there and clean your windows. So yeah, so a bit of a war going on there. I'm being taken to court, but hey, it's been done many times to James before. I'm a seasoned professional attending Her Majesty's Pleasure. Um, and then the other one is, uh, I've, uh, I'm having some, I'm having some success in getting my HMO back. The one that I told nice. you about that. Yeah. So, um, it's after, not you, you're not having success. I no, well, well, I'm, 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 I'm about to share that. I'm about to share that. <laughs> so a few people had a look at the contract for me. One of them being I, as he's on the call right now with his uh, Man United top on, I can see him. He had a look at the contract for me Big and up. yet it was pretty much heavy sided towards the, the agents with a few things and even i said it's the worst contract they've ever seen you didn't need I a solicitor to tell you that though did you really <clears throat> yeah but anyway um so i handed it over to my mum i thought you know what mum got the number last time let me just hand it over to my mumsy and see what she can do so she said to me she goes james you do not call the agent you do not speak to no one just keep out of it now because you fucking mess this up and I'm thinking I'm not messy. I've not done anything wrong. So anyway, so she gets it back in her control, and she goes to me. They've agreed to hand the house back, and I'm like, 
what? What do you mean they've agreed to hand the house back? Like, how do you do this? And she's just like, look, Your I've club. spoken to him and I've said to him, I've said, look, this is no longer James's house. He owes me a lot of money. So he's forfeited this house over to me. So it's now my house. I want to sell this house. So I need those tenants out. So you have to work with me. And I think what's happened is, because these guys have looked at my mum as being, you know, mumsy, mumsy, you talk to a mum different than you talk to like mm. a James. James got, fuck off, don't contact us again. My mum got, oh, yes, auntie, we will try very hard to do this for you. Very respectful. So, yeah, Thanks, she's man. been going in. Yeah, yeah, basically. So bottom line is she's just in the last stages of negotiating with him on how she wants the house back. And I'm kind of, I'm a little bit blown away. I'm thinking this could have been a massive hassle for me. And my mum, the old legal boss, has just got in there and got it back. And she's kind of, she's playing it to advantage. Because every time she sees me, like, I haven't been obviously seeing her. I've been seeing her through a window or at a distance. She's been saying to me, giving me, that window, nod, yes. giving me that nod just to say, James, you're just a pussy. Oh, you couldn't even sort <laughs> this mess out. I had to do this for you. Mum had to come to the rescue and bring this shit back for you, man. You're a waste, man. So I'm thinking, you know, when you just had, you, you, I'm hanging my head in shame thinking, yeah, yeah, she's right. My mum, I'm, I'm a git. I messed up. <laughs> I didn't read the contract. Even she told me, what is this that you signed? And it's like... <laughs> um, believe in mum, innit? Big up mums because, yeah, you, you're definitely everything you described there. Um, oh, thanks. It's good to have... <laughs> Make the contract was ridiculous. It's good to have... Um, I think the paper itself had more weight than you did in that contract. And that's saying something because that, you know what I'm saying? Um, that was quite deep. That was quite. That was quite deep. Um, okay, but there's also something else, another legal issue you're having, which is fascinating with your flats. Um, which I think, if you've been on this property deal for a few weeks, you would have heard of James's flats for like twenty four grand. Didn't read the legal pack really. A few issues with the lease, trying to count, trying to sue the other side. Now, what's the latest issue in that, James? You, it's all going smooth, right? And it's finished. No, it's not going smooth. You know it's not going smooth, so you're taking a piss. <laughs> so the latest on that one is we were we were due to exchange uh, yesterday and on the yeah, transferred all the money across to the solicitor. I thought, right, we're going to get this done, get it moving, have agents lined up ready to go in. And um, I get an email from him saying, look, um, this slight issue has appeared. And I'm like, what do you mean a slight issue has appeared? This issue should have appeared weeks ago. A slight issue has appeared where... Um, they are trying to, the, the kind of leasehold company that looks after every tenant as they're trying to kind of um, revoke the lease back to the head lease sign or something. I think Tej explains it a little bit better than I do um, on, on what's happened. But in essence, it could mean that I'm buying something that wouldn't actually be mine because the lease would, it's all just being handed back to the freeholder or the leaseholder's trying to hand it back to the freeholder. Um so yeah, that's turned up right at the last minute. As you know, as you'd expect, I didn't think anything in my life is smooth sailing, but um, <laughs> this was a bit of a kick in the nuts. And it just goes back to my point of saying, you know, when you've got such a good solicitor who's just spotted this right at the end hour, and he's kind of now kicking up with them and saying, look, this should have been disclosed as in the disclosures pack that there is a current dispute going on. And why hasn't this dispute been, uh, um, why hasn't this been highlighted previously? Because there's no way in hell this has just turned up. They're trying to say, oh, look at this letter we just conveniently got <laughs> the day before completion with court papers and court summons and all this. And you're thinking, no, 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 this is just a load, of, a load of nonsense. But point being, anybody else 
a solicitor, if you were in one of those kind of um, production line solicitors where you're just being put through a chain, this probably would have gone through and you would have got your stuff. And then next thing you know, you've got a legal pack there and you're in court and you're thinking, damn, how did this happen? Point being, read the, read the legal pack, baby. Read the legal pack. And also just know if something like that does happen and, and the solicitor does carry it through, most of the time you can sue the solicitor and it's, it's, it's fairly straightforward because of their insurance, which is why they have insurance, um, because you know you can sue them and they know that and you can obviously their reputation would just be fucked so you know you are kind of protected as long as they're uh, sra registered which is very strict or if they're like clc registered which is conveyances which is still strict um you can still go at them and they wouldn't really have a leg to stand on but that's the problem i guess with leaseholds is like they are complex if i was buying a leasehold would i give it to a solicitor to read the auction pack which i never do for freeholds yes I did buy a leasehold. Did I give it to the solicitor? No, because it was very, very simple. But generally a leasehold on like a flat, I would even I would, if I was really, really seriously going to buy it, I would pay a solicitor whatever they charge me to read it. And I do not like paying stuff like this, but I would. That's how serious I want to get across like buying leasehold can be because like James said, you could have completed and you would have owned, well, not even a piece of paper. You'd have owned... I mean, it's very complex, but you would have basically had nothing. You know, you got to think, you go to auction, people are like, oh, Ted, should I get my first property from auction? And I'm like, maybe speak to James if you should go to auction first. Like, maybe get his experience. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's, it's not something to be scared of, but it's something to be aware of because like, yeah, every week there's been an issue with this property. And look, that's one out of, I don't know how many auction purchases we've done between us, but it's a small percentage, but it's enough that people should still be concerned and extra diligent, especially on leasehold. Uh, so I think that's our updates. I don't really have much to add. I'm running out of wholemeal flour. I've run out of rye flour. So the homemade bread thing is, is just slacking at the moment. So if anyone knows any shops, West London, TW kind of area who has flour, let your boy know. Um, that's about it for the update. I spent all of yesterday ordering three kitchens and designing them and making sure they're going to look sexy and ordering the taps and, you know. So I'm a little bit bored, but uh, my book is being written. I'm writing a book on BRR, which I don't know if I told you about, James. I think I probably just didn't. I probably just said it. Uh, and it's going to essentially be a guide to doing a buy, refurbish, refinance, rent, whatever you want to call it. And hopefully it gives like at least 80% of what you need to just go do it yourself. So maybe I will bankrupt the whole training industry in one book. Maybe. I'm just saying. That's my updates. Probably won't happen. Um, but let's move on to the topics of discussion for today. So James, um, happy anniversary. Thank you very much, mate. Thank you very much. Although given the circumstances, yeah, yeah. Uh, would you like to share with us what that means? Is it, is it your marriage? Is it your kid's birth? What is it? What's, what's going no, on? no, no. It's something far more painful. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, me and Ted were talking and I thought we'd... Um, I did a live with um, um, Elite Investor Group and it, and it kind of resonated with a lot of people because we talked about losing a business and uh, going, going, having a business and then it just going all tits up. So today actually marks two years since I had to uh, put my my previous print business into liquidation. Now, for anybody who's not put a business into liquidation, it's basically just saying, hey, I'm in trouble. Here you go. Hand over my business to a liquidator and they take care of it all for you after that point. You're, bi- you're basically just kind of 
how can I, it's like say handing over a, you know, like taking your, I know this is an extreme example, but they keep taking your kid and giving it to somebody else and saying, deal with this. That's what it was. That would be great. No, it wouldn't be great. (laughs) It wouldn't be great. No, no. So yeah, two years ago to the date, I had to file for liquidation, voluntary liquidation, had to put my business into liquidation, which was absolutely probably one of the most painful things I've ever had to do in my life. Now, I had my business for a long, you know, I had it for about 11 years, coming on to 12 years. It's a business that I started in a bedroom, a tiny, tiny little bedroom, probably no bigger than this room here. Um, It was a print business. So basically started the company wanting to make some extra money like everybody else does. At the time, I was a teacher working in a school, teaching secondary kids uh, design and graphics. You can you can imagine I, I really did love that um, uh, <laughs> the teaching part anyway the paperwork was shite but anyway wanting to make extra money I thought you know what let me see let me start a business and at the time eBay was really really it was it was pumping people were making lots of money I call them eBay millionaires I know a lot of people that became millionaires through eBay and Amazon a lot of people in my own friend circles that did that because when eBay was fairly new there wasn't all these rules that there are now. You could pretty much list anything. You could list counterfeit shit. You could list stuff that wasn't even properly legal. I I even saw people, you know, selling stuff like, you know, like like nudie pictures of somebody's wife on eBay and you'd get away with selling stuff like that. So eBay wasn't very controlled at that time. It was like a marketplace you could sell on. So I thought, okay, there's a friend of mine. He said, James, you got that printer there that you've had since university. Have you ever thought about putting it to use and maybe doing something with it? I thought, yeah, okay. What can I do? He goes, why don't you print some pictures of some nice cars and see if you can sell them on eBay? I was like, oh man, what's this nutter talking about? I thought, but let me listen to him. You know, this guy came out of school with zero GCSEs, nothing. Could barely write and still to this day has struggled writing a paragraph. But he became an eBay millionaire very, very quickly. And he repeated the process several times in his early 20s. So lo and behold, I put this picture up of a couple of Ferraris, I think old classic Ferraris. I thought nothing of it. Come back. Ding, 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 ding. These things are selling. I'm thinking, what? Okay, let me put some pictures of some Porsches up. Before you know it, I've got 5,000 different images up there, which have all been stolen from Google. Remember, advanced search, highest megabyte, so I can print them so they look good. No copyright, no nothing. This is fully, 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 uh, you know, stolen from the internet. No, no copyright, nothing. I mean, it got to a point where I was having letters from people like FIFA saying, hey, you're selling, yeah, that's what I mean <laughs> from FIFA, from big brands saying, hey, you, you're selling these pictures and you've got no copyright on them. Anyway, cut a long story short, that continued for a long time. It got to the point where I was getting to the end of a, a, a month and thinking, I've made more money selling shit on eBay than I have from my teaching salary. You know, I must have been the low, I must have been the richest 23, 24 year old out of my mates because I got a huge salary. Well, not a huge salary, a decent salary coming in. I got a decent chunk coming in every month. I have seven or eight K there, and I'm thinking, I'm a flosser, man. I'm, I'm, I'm a gangster businessman, you know. And don't get me wrong, I pissed a lot of it up on the wall going out, you know, champagne popping, all that nonsense that you do when you're young. Did all that, all of that, you know, that dick in the club, that dick in the night, you know, in the bar, all of that nonsense. But then it kind of hit me. I thought, you know what? If I'm making this much money off small images, let me reinvest this into bigger stuff. So I bought my first big machine. You know, it cost me £6,000. It's only about A1, but I, I bought it. And do you want to hear the, you want to hear the biggest mess up I did? Yes. Now, I had it for a week. James being James thinking, 
nah, these UK ink prices are too expensive. I need more margin. I contact some brother out in India who sends me a whole load of ink, yeah? He promises me that this is legit ink. Brother, this is legit. It's made for Canon, I promise you. I don't lie to you. I'm like, okay, all right, all right, all right. So I buy it. I have it shipped in. I put it in my machine, yeah? And the solvent in the ink melts the fucking pipes, all the ink lines. So you're talking about a six grand machine within a month. It's redundant. Finish. <laughs> now, <laughs> most people at the time would have thought, right, that's it. I've had enough. I'm giving up. That's it. I've finished. Me being me, I thought, no, no, listen, I've got to, to carry on. So I went back to the manufacturer and bought another machine. He goes to me, oh, you're doing really well, aren't you? And what am I supposed <laughs> to say to him? No, Mr. Manufacturer, I'm just a dickhead. I tried to save money, listen to everything you told me not to do, buy cheap inks, and I messed up the machine. Anyway, so after that, business grew. I expanded. I went from my bedroom down to my front room. I turned my kitchen into a packing bay. Again, employed my mum packaging parcels for me. She loved it. Talking to the delivery man, going to the post office for me. And then I thought, you know what? This shit needs to stop. I'm getting married in a month's time and I'm using my house as a full-on production facility. So I moved into my first industrial unit. uh, Did really, really well. Business just grew and grew and grew. We expanded a few times, and towards the end, we're in a massive—you know—we're a massive twenty thousand square foot unit. We've got two and a half million pounds worth of kit. We're printing for the likes of uh, Facebook, Google. We're doing some really, really high-end stuff. We're making shitloads of money. You know, I was living the dream. Had the hundred and fifty grand car. Had the four by four as a daily driver to scoot the kids around in. Money wasn't an object. You know, my kid could go out and ask me for a two thousand pound flipping. I remember going out to Apple, spending two grand on the kid, and I'm thinking, I look at it now, I think. You were a dick. You bought a year two thousand pounds worth of stuff from Apple, you know. But at the time, you just do not think you're in the motion. You're running with it. You're running with it. You're running. With it. You're thinking, nah, this shit's never going to end, man. I'm the man. And then, um, and then what happens? I get ill. I get ill. I get pneumonia. I'm out for nine weeks. I'm sitting in my bed. I could have lost my life. I had the worst team around me but i never wanted to admit it and i never wanted to do anything about it because all i could see was chasing the next dollar when i got ill my my team at work used this to their full advantage to not do what they would normally be doing um lost three massive clients that equated to just under a million quid i come back after nine weeks and i'm sitting there now and i'm thinking okay oh, oh let me just uh mute that yeah so i'm sitting there thinking how do I how do I recover from this? Oh, Ted, what's going on here? I can see D on the screen. He's gone now. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so I'm thinking, how do I recover from this? And the bottom line is, I can't recover from it because it took me five years to build those clients up, to build A-list clients up. It took me five years. So I thought, you know what? I've got to do the honorable thing here. Rather than doing what every other business would do is just keep getting further, 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 further into debt, stringing the government along, stringing supplies along. I thought, you know what? Enough's enough. I've only got three months worth of cash flow here and I need to get out. When it's costing you in excess of 70 odd thousand pound a month to run a business before you take a penny for yourself, that's 70 grand before I get one P. Yeah. You think, nah, shit needs to change. I need to get out of here. I'm done. Held up the white flag and went into liquidation. Um, The most most painful thing I ever did. I saw all my cars being driven away. I was lucky I didn't lose my house because I technically had it set up in a complex way, um, you know, in trusts and stuff. Because 
uh, I think you need to, when you're in a business, you need to make sure your assets are protected in a clever way. So speak to a good tax advisor to do that for you or a, a good planner. Um, and yeah, yeah, it went down. I spent the first month after going into liquidation pretty much um, drinking every every single night, uh, trying to ease the pain. And um, it was um, it took a lot to bounce back from that. You know, it could have gone in two ways, and uh, I decided to kind of um, use it to my advantage and try and learn from it. So yeah, so liquidation was a very 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 painful lesson to me and. I think it was almost like I look back at it now and I look at it as if, you know, remember back in the days when you had a Windows PC and you reformatted it and it was all nice and fresh, all working fast. I think that's what liquidation taught me. It's allowed me to reset because I was on this crazy path of expansion, 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 expansion. And all it took was my health to dip and my business to be go. And that's a prime example, I think, of someone who was working in his business all the time rather than on it. And I'm a prime example of that. So for everybody who thinks it's not important to be working on your business, use me as an example. I was there. I'd work three, four days straight in the business because all I could see was the money. I could see the P's. I could see all those invoices on the wall, live jobs going through. I'm thinking, you know, I'd be working four or five o'clock in the morning in the production facility. And while machines are printing, I'm sitting there on my phone thinking, damn, what car am I buying next, man? What car am I going to buy? And I couldn't, you know, I couldn't spend them. I was spending the money quicker than it was coming in before it was even coming in. So some serious, serious lessons. I now sound happy about it now, but I can tell you there was a lot, of, there was a lot of crying, man. There was a lot of walking like a madman in a park, talking to myself. You know, them guys you see sitting on the bench with a brown paper bag, easing the, the pain. Yeah. That was me, bruv. That was me. You're trying to ease the pain because yeah, alcohol is going to, it's going to buzz you out for a bit, but as soon as it wears off, that shit's there and you start crying and you get even more emotional. So yeah, that's my story on liquidation, man. And if, you know, if you were then, let's say you were going to start a print business again, let's say you were going to get to the same heights you got to again, what would you do differently from the start? What things would you implement to maybe stop this happening? I think number one, the first thing I would do is I would, I did this actually after my business went under, I went and got business coaching because I wanted to work out where I'd gone wrong. What were the systems that were wrong in my business? So I'd work very, very closely with a coach. I still am in touch with this coach, Action Coaching London, a guy called Parag. He's fantastic. After my business went down, I spent an hour with him and he within 40 minutes told me everything on how my business collapsed. And the funny thing is six months before we collapsed, I was due to bring him in as a consultant and someone to train us and I didn't. Yeah. I mean, that's, I don't know what you call that in it. Well, it was meant to be whatever happened, ha- happened and was meant to be, I guess. I think there's yeah. no, you know, it's hard to take a lesson from that. Yeah. You could have called him earlier, but then who knows what would have happened, right? You may not be where you are now and you may still be chasing the money and nothing else. And you could just be shallow and stuff. So I think there's, there's a, there's a positivity maybe, or there's always a, there's always a reason for that happening. Um, What about like, cause obviously you got ill, you left it to your staff, you know, were your staff just incompetent idiots or were they like, what about that element? How can you protect against that? My, my head, head of production, my operations manager was a Polish dude. Really, really. He was a nice guy up until probably a year before this all happened. He was very, very disgruntled at work. uh, And I couldn't work out why. And at the time I was constantly blaming him. Um, And you know what? 
a few times. He's a six foot eight guy. He's a big dude. He came into my office a few times, sat down, just broke down, broke down into tears. When you see a big henchman break down into tears, you're kind of scared because you're thinking, damn, man, something's up. And the warning signs were always there. The warning signs were there that this guy is under a lot of pressure. James, you are overloading him. I couldn't see it. All I could see was the flow of sales coming in, the flow of money coming in, and my operations manager is about to crack. What I should have done is taken my head out of the clouds and spoke to him and said, look, you need two or three people to be working with you. But no, my whole response to it was, look, how much more is this going to cost me for you to just deal with this shit rather than looking at his well-being? So going back, number one, I would structure my team properly from day one. Even if you do not need that staff member right now, make sure you've created a role for them. You know, look at your organization as a big organization and have those roles all kind of laid out now and fill those roles. What you don't want to do is your organization grows into a massive business. And then right at the end minute, you're on Indeed.com or Gumtree thinking, fuck, I need a member of staff. And you're going to make every single mistake. You're going to employ the first person who's looking hungry for the job. And he could be a very bad apple in the pack who upsets everybody else in your team. So make sure your staffing structure is right. Make sure you know who you need in your business and make sure you know that from day one. Yeah, I think that those are great points. And like, you're, you're very wise, sir. You're very wise. Uh, it's interesting because when I've worked in recruitment, this is exactly what I've seen. Like, I think you should hire slow and fire fast. It's difficult to do because you want to get people in. And most people hire, like you said, they're re- um, reactively instead of proactively. And you know, hiring people is so difficult. I haven't interviewed so many joke mans, is the only way I'd describe people, who were like in positions and in titles that when you look at their CV, you think, oh, they're amazing. They can do the job. You meet them and you're like, you're a clown. And this happened so many times. It just made me think, shit, finding good people is so, so difficult, right? And in your position, I think like having the organizational chart is, is incredibly helpful, but also I think what a counter argument, what someone could say is, Oh, but hold on, you know, your operations manager. Yeah. But then if I have to hire two more people, that's two more salaries, but the cost of not hiring them is a lot more expensive than it is hiring them. And there's lots of ways to incentivize people. You don't necessarily have to throw a fat salary. There's, there's lots of ways of doing this. And I think maybe one thing that a lot of business owners that we don't have is that, I don't want to say HR because that has like a bit of a boring connotation, but like we don't have that company culture aspect or thought, right? Like say what you just described, say if we were in like a fintech startup or something like that and someone broke down like that, I know that there'd be a lot more support and there'd be a whole different approach to it, which especially in property, if we're growing a business, like obviously it's separate to the printing thing, but it's not in our heads about company culture because we just think, well, the old school thing is that we're paying them, so they should be happy. We're feeding their family. But there's a million and one things that matter more than that. So there's a really good book called um, The Culture Code by Net by Netflix. I don't know who wrote it, the founder of Netflix. It is the best book you will read on how to create like a good company culture with staff um, because it's very, very like, yeah, it's underestimated how much that matters more than salaries. Like I know... <clears throat> little little point here but where i used to work somewhere as a contractor um they used to give us like food every now and then well, obviously i was i was happy 
And they used to have, bear with me on this, they used to have peanut butter, yeah? Whole earth. I'm talking top of the market, yeah, for us for free. Wow. I would rinse it every day. Then they had some cuts. Then they had some shit one from Lidl, <laughs> no offense, but whole earth is the best peanut butter. And I tell you, the riots on Slack, all the software developers, everyone like, where the fuck's the good peanut butter? Weeks after weeks, yeah, people were complaining about this and eventually they changed it back. But that one thing had a much bigger impact than if they said, oh, everyone has to take a couple of percent pay cut. I promise you, because it's so tangible and it's so real and it feels kind of personal and it's the connection you have with the company. Little things like that will make a big, big difference. So liquidation, I have a question. Why, why did you liquidate instead of like selling the business or closing it, taking entrepreneur's relief and getting the cash out. Like why was that the option over everything else? I think the thing is what you got to remember when you've got two and a half million pounds worth of kit, you've got a lot of, you've got a lot of kind of HP finance agreements with, uh, uh, with banks and powerhouses like that. So it's not just a matter of selling the kit. It's kind of, you've got some, um, you've got some assets that need to be dealt with properly. Now they weren't a lot of those, Part of those, a lot of the assets were owned, but some of the assets were on HP. Some of the biggest ones. I mean, two months before we went into liquidation, we bought a we bought a new machine for six hundred grand. So how do you deal with that? You know, somebody needs to come in. I was so I was at the end. At the end, I was so done with it and so upset that I didn't want people coming around seeing the kit, me trying to sell it because it was like me selling my baby. You know, mm. if you saw this place, you would say to yourself, fuck, man, this is this is a proper factory because it was it was a proper production line going on machines everywhere printing away. And yes, I could have gone through that painful thing. But all it would have meant is I would have dragged it out longer and longer and longer. Whereas when a liquidator comes along, he just deals with it all for you. Now, don't get me wrong. He had 15 grand for doing it. You know, he was paid handsomely for doing it. Even when you're even when you're up shit creek and you're about to go down, the liquidator, he's the one who makes the money at the end, man, because I can tell you whatever money was in the bank balance, it was a lot of it went to him. Now, just to let people know, the day we went into liquidation, we had over £120,000 in the bank account. So it's not as if we had zero pence. There was a lot of money there, but you could foresee if it's costing you 70 grand a month to run, to keep the lights on, that money is not going to go very, very far. So yeah, mm. that's the reason why we bought in a liquidator because yeah, we just we knew I knew in three months' time I'm gonna be trading insolvently. And give just to give people a further idea of the scale of your business, because I think it can be quite hard to like maybe visualize the factory and things like that. What was your turnover like? Sort of, you know, in the good times, in the peak? Um just before we went under, I think our best year we would have done just just a tad over two million. Okay, so that is a pretty big business, you know, like to lose yeah. is, is pretty painful. But I think to, to only have it two years ago and to be in the position you're in says a lot about you because, mo- you know, not most people, but it's easy for a lot of people to just go in that position and then that brown bag is, takes them to their grave, right? Like serious with a lot of people. So, you know, respect to you for, for coming out of that. Do you know what it is, Ted? A lot of people, what I've realised people that I know who have gone into liquidation and lost it all, they've kind of, they've got used to having such a high standard of living. Like they can't live without the cars. They can't live without a nice house. And when that's all taken away from them, it's the physical assets that they have trouble dealing with. Oh, what's Jonesy going to think down the road? Cause man's is now driving an E-class Mercedes and not a Bentley. You know, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't give a fuck about that shit for me. 
for when, when the good times were rolling, yes, the assets were there and everything was nice. When they went, yes, it was for about a few few days. It was, oh man, I lost my 9-11. Oh man, I lost my 4x4. I've got a smart car now. But eventually you think to yourself, you know what? The things that matter in all of this are still there. And I remember when it happened, it was a, you know, it was a big hug from my mum and a big hug from my wife and seeing my kids. And that was the only things that really, really mattered. And the cars will come and go, man. You know, I've seen it before. The cars will come, the cars will go, the assets will come, the assets will go. Um, but in all of this, you got to, I would say to anybody listening, no matter how successful you become, don't acclimatize yourself to that style of living because if it's ever taken away from you, it's going to mentally fuck you so badly that, that the whole shame of it, like there's a lot of people that are ashamed about it. I ain't ashamed about it. I'll talk about it. Anybody ask me what happened, I'll tell you, yeah, I got ill, I fucked up, my business went. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to hide it, but there's a lot of people that get used to the things, the money, the eating in certain places. Um, and for them, it's recovering from that. I really didn't give a shit. Yeah, I think like that's that's a very good point. Like if you're if you're now shopping in Whole Foods and that, maybe don't make it your everyday shop. If you're, you know, what I think it, it comes down to like also maybe the way we're raised and like our mindset in the business. Like even if we have the Bentley and all this stuff, I think like and eating in certain places, etc. I think as long as your core belief or your core personality is not really bothered and is not really about that which I think, you know, for a lot of people happens, like, as you're growing a business, you have to eat shit, you have to, you know, literally be, you know, not in a Bentley, basically, to put it visually. So I think for, I think, setting your mindset from the beginning that when you have money, and when you have all this stuff, and you're eating in Nobu and all these posh places, I don't even know, sexy fish or whatever, that you are the same person, and that money doesn't, like, change you, because the wealthiest people are still the same sort of people yeah they spend money on stuff but they're the same people but also they de-risk their business and for us in property that basically means reducing your ltvs reducing your debt if you had an unencumbered portfolio ain't no one taking that away from you but if you've got some debt then of course it is possible so i think like for people in property as you're growing your business you're not thinking about ltvs being reduced you're thinking about getting them as high as possible and that's cool because you're growing but there needs to be a tipping point where you're like, you know what? I'm making money. I'm good. Let me pay these motherfuckers down. Like every two or five years, every time your fix ends, just pay chunks down or however you want to do it. There's different theories to it because that will protect your business because you have less debt. So you owe no one, no, nothing. That makes sense. I think, I think you need to have that in your, like you need to have a one year, two year, five year, 10 year plan. So maybe your five year plan might be, look, I need to get my loan to value down from 75% to 60%. And when you're at 10 years, you want to think, you know what? I need to get this down right down to 40% or 30% because you're heading towards retirement. So yeah, good point there. That's the way you would protect yourself. Yeah. Um, quick question. Alfred said, what was the net profit on your business? Man, straight to business. Yeah, I like that. What was your, what's your net who, profit? Who, who, who Alfred. Asked that? Alfred, have you met Alfred? I haven't met Alfred, no. Okay, no. he comes to PP and Knightsbridge. He said, what was the net profit on that turnover? We were working, on, on whole, we were working on about 40%, I would say. Mm. So it was, it, was, it was quite a nice, chunky business. It was 40% overall as a, as a profit on that. That's and good. You know, one, one thing, the print game is a very, very good game, man. I used to say it's a license to print money, you know. Like I was saying to you, Tej, off, offline, you know, we had the black card. You could go and spend whatever you wanted as long as you, 
The thing was, I knew my pipeline was full for 12 months, 24 months. And I thought, ain't nobody taking that away from me. And what happens? Dave down the road comes along and cuts these prices by 5%. And there's no loyalty. I don't give a monkeys what anybody says. You take these guys to posh restaurants, you buy them drinks, you get them pissed up, account managers. Soon as he's saving 5% there, he's going to look great to his boss. See you later, James. I'm off. Yeah, it's what's in it for me, right? What is in it for me? That is the core of everything. And that's how it works. So that's something, that's also another lesson actually is like in property. Yeah. The bank's giving you a mortgage and you know, you just signed some paperwork and it was easy, but they'll repossess your house just as easily, you know, if they want to. So it's the same thing. And as long as humans, as long as another person is involved in your business, you're, you know, you're always going to be at the peril of someone else. And that could even be your tenants. But of course there's different ways about it. If you've got I don't know, let's say just if you've got HMOs, yes, you are at more risk of the humans in, in the property affecting your income. If you've got like buy to lets for families, you're less risk. So there's different ways of de-risking things in property. So just taking your lessons and putting it into, um, into property. And Alfred also said, yeah, get the LTV down to 60%. I'm aiming really in, in, in sort of about, I don't know, within 10 years, I really want them to be all unencumbered. Um, and in, in sort of five, I want them to be like less than 50%. I want to have like 49% mortgages across yeah, the team. I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm with you on that. Um, it's not, it's not easy to do. And it still means that, Hey, a lot of your chunks of cash and stuff are going into it, but it's just about the peace of mind and making it as passive as you, as you can. Um, and also it's like, you know, it's like, uh, it's like having, I don't know, I guess gold in your house because in the future, if you ever need money, you can remortgage it 20, 30, 40, 50%, whatever. So you can always pull it back out for a short period of time. But I think for people in property, seriously consider how you're going to de-risk your business as you go along. It doesn't have to be LTV. It could be, okay, if I'm ill and we should all have this for our businesses, what happens? Who, who takes control? Do I have like a um, income insurance, which is like 20 quid a month sometimes? It's super cheap sometimes. Do I have, I don't know, the correct staff? Do I have a contingency plan? Do I trust all of my staff? Are there cracks? You know, like, because nothing is to stop you getting ill right now on this chat. Let's be really blunt. Nothing is to stop that. And no matter how healthy you are, we ain't got a fucking clue what's happening in the trillions of cells that we have. So it's, it, it's not nice to talk about, but it could potentially save you a lot of headache um, and a lot of hassle. So James, the, um, what a story, man. I didn't, I didn't know you were working with Google and Facebook. That's incredible. That's the part that mm. I was like, oh, damn. Because that, that is a sign more than the turnover that like you do admit. Yeah, yeah, to put it technically, yeah. to put it technically. So when, when it comes to, I don't know, people who have ambitions to have a big business, and I'm going to call yours a big one. Obviously, you've got bigger ones, you know, blah, 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 of course. But in the scheme of things, especially compared to property businesses, 70K a month in terms of costs is big is having a big business all it's cracked up to be or would you prefer a small operation that can maybe make the same amount of money but with less humans less issues less beef i don't think a big business is cracked out to what it's you know like you say it's 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 a showboat man you know it's uh it's kind of showing people here, man. Look at me. I've got two and a half million pounds worth of kit. I'm a big boy. No, you're not. You just got shitloads of machine on, on, on higher purchase agreements and you're just constantly feeding them. I would say I probably made more money clean raw in my hand 
when I was working from my kitchen and my living room because there was no huge costs, you know? So I don't think a big business is all that it's made out to be. You know, the bigger they come, the harder they're going to fall. Mm. You've heard that saying, and that's exactly what happens. So for me now, with a property business, I've got a hell of a lot more time, you know? Although I feel sometimes I haven't got more time because I'm always doing something, you know? Yeah. Always doing a bit of content, this, that, and the other. But number one is... I've got my life back because when I had the print company, my nuts were owned by somebody else. You know, it's simple as I was producing work for somebody else. I was fulfilling contracts with other people. So I was owned by someone else alongside all those nice cars, those nice assets. They had to be fed by someone. Yeah. So I was always someone's bitch, even though it was my firm. Yeah. I could say no to work. But who's going to say no to work? Oh, he ain't going to say no to someone waving, flipping money in your face, saying, hey, can you do this for me? You know, I talk about this and I talked about it with elite, uh, um, Andrew and Mary. And I said, it was so bad for me that I was so busy that I nearly missed the birth of my first son. Come on, man. That's showing you something, yeah. you that's know, yeah. nearly missed the birth of my own son. And that is, wow. I look back at it now and think you dick, <laughs> no, no amount of money could ever, you know, could ever bring back those memories. So it's nice now. Like my um, my youngest is three and a half. So it's nice kind of when I went into liquidation, he was quite young and I've really watched him develop because I've been around. So a big business isn't all that it's cracked out to be, man. Yeah. You, you know, I, I know people sitting at home in their, in their pants making more money than some of the bigger firms and some of the guys driving around in the nice cars. And one thing I would say to the younger guys watching and, and um, logged in is, don't be fooled. When you see someone in a nice car, it don't mean shit. Because nowadays, you can put 10 bags down on a car, you can have a flash car for 1,500 quid a month. And mm-hmm, who can't mm-hmm. afford 1,500 quid a month? If you've got a portfolio of houses, you can look at one house could be paying for a, for a Lambo, or maybe not a Lambo, but maybe... Not a Lambo, definitely. I've checked the prices on that. Definitely not a Lambo. Maybe a, maybe, maybe a Range Rover or something nice, like a Vogue, yeah. something like that. And don't think that that person owns that 70 grand car because anybody driving around with a 70, 100, 150 grand car has not paid for it outright because you'd be stupid to. So I'd say to the younger guys, don't look at these things and think, no, no, that's what I want to be. You want to be looking at the waste man who's got flipping paint (laughs) on his jeans or he's walking around with flip-flops or going to the gym with a Tesco's carrier bag because I can tell you, I met a guy in the gym who used to come to the gym with a Tesco's carrier bag, yeah? Man used to laugh at him. The more I got to know him, he had five hotels and he was a multi-millionaire. So don't be disregarding that man at Tesco's who smells a little bit funky, who don't, who doesn't have a nice car, gets on the bus because that's the real millionaire, man. The people posing and showing it are just chatting shit because a lot of them are in heavy debt. Um, a lot of them are just painting a picture that they want you to see. That's, that's a very good point. I always say the more stains someone has that that's their net worth every stain is another mill on the network ted, i'm telling you ted, i'll give you an example when i went to buy my first 911 yeah it was so difficult for me to find the time to go to the dealership because i was so busy <laughs> so when i did go the only reason why i went was because it was on my bucket list and i thought fuck i gotta do this before my 30th birthday and i was turning 30 in a week and i'm there at work obviously thinking shit i haven't done this it's on my bucket list following morning or halfway through the day i went down there i'm wearing i still remember it i'm wearing denim jeans and they're covered in ink and i've got white trainers on that i got ink in it my hands are covered in ink rago you know roadman with massive beard i walk in and and that's how i went there you know so i think um the guys that 
the guys that are, are are doing it properly, you'll be able to tell very, very quickly because they're going to be working professionals. Unless you're some kind of crazy YouTuber or some crazy stockbroker that just makes bare peas making videos on scooters and shit. Yeah, that's that's a that's a very good point. And going back to the original one about like are big big businesses worth it? I think it, I think it can be binary. I think if you're going to go for like a new challenger bank or you're going to change the insurance scene and you're going to go for like a unicorn, like an Airbnb or one of these kind of things, like more so tech companies, I think it's either you go for it and you get the mill bill valuations and that's great. And you, you, you have set, you've got this big business, although it's probably full of debt, not making profit, like many startups do for many years. Then you're kind of like, okay, then I think you have to aim for the stars, but then there's the total opposite, which is, I guess what most property investors are, which is the smaller portfolio type businesses and i think i'm not saying it's binary you can do what you like but for me if i was going to grow a business it would either be quite a small one or it'd be you know what fuck it my life's over i'm, I'm dedicating to this it's going to be the next airbnb even though the, the ceo is a bit twat so um yeah just I, to add to that you know what it comes down ultimately to what everybody's why is and if your why is you just want to have a couple of houses you want to be financially free of your bills and all you want to do is scoot around, you know, buy yourself a nice little car and scoot around to south of France for half a year. That's a good why. Or your why might be you want 100 grand a year and you want to spend money like it's going out of fashion. You want to be champagne popping. You want to be doing all this thing. You know, it all depends what your why is. Some people's why is quite small. They just don't mm. want to work for some next waste man. They want <laughs> enough money coming in and they just want to chill. You know, they want to live their life. I've spoken to people and their why is I just want to travel. You know, so it all comes down to what your why is. And I think your goal should be related to that. And in turn, your business should be structured towards your why. I agree. And why and would I... you want it? Why would you want your business bigger than your why? Ooh, what? Ooh, bars. We're coming out with, yo, someone record this shit. It's why recording, your brother. Business... <laughs> bigger than your why is. Why would you... That's... I'm writing that down for the t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> for the don't be an asshole t-shirt. I like yeah. that. That is a very good. Why are you on the business? Oh, that's quite profound, actually. I think we'll end it here. No, I'm kidding. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, I think that's that's a great way to end that part of the show. We only really have about ten, fifteen minutes left for the Q and A, so we'll skip the part on branding and we'll just talk about contracts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, contracts. Now, uh, if I mean, there's millions of types of contracts or whatever. Where where are we trying to take this conversation, James? Should, are we are we trying I, to say to people what we're we trying to say? I think what we're trying to say is the importance of contracts. Now, um, I've recently I've been hearing. I think I was on a live the other day with someone, and they were talking about that they've got this build going on, and yeah, the builder's all cool. He's my friend. He's done loads of work for me in the past. I was like, do you have a contract? No. Do you have a build schedule? No. And it's like, why not? Because he's my mate. I said, let me tell you something. And I've said this a million times before. If you want to lose a friend, give him some money. And when (laughs) money's involved, ain't nobody your friend. Let me tell you that. Even a family member ain't your friend when there's some peas involved. Mm -hmm. So, and I've learned the hard way. I've learned the hard way. This is me when I lost, I told you about it. I've told few people when I lost 65,000 pounds for not having a contract. Yeah. Now I was able to recover from that in a very, very hard way. And remember, this is only a year after liquidation. I lost 65 grand. So man's been kicked twice. You experience a lot. Like you, you've really had a tough life. You look very young for someone who's had such a tough life. You know that respect, pick up yourself, pick up yourself. So my, my, my whole thing on that is 
I don't care if it's your dad or your uncle doing the work. You need to have some kind of contract because when something goes wrong, that's the only thing you've got to refer back to. Now, I've been stupid enough in the past where, like the, the situation I'm in with that HMO now, because I was so busy with my print business, someone put a contract in front of me and said, hey, James, we're just going to give you X amount of money. It's all going to be done. We're going to take care of it. Just sign here. I signed it. I didn't care. You know, now, now look where that's got me. I'm in a bit of a position because I didn't read some fine terms. And, you know, if I'd known you at the time, Ted, I would have sent it to you and you would have just dealt with it. Like, like Yeah, and they, and they like weren't the very fine terms. Are. They were they were very explicit terms. They were not fine. Don't try and disguise it. They were very obvious. <laughs> I see what you tried to do there. Oh, yeah, it was like font three and it was like in a million words. No, was it? Um, so my, that's, my point, sorry, my point is you need to have, even if it's somebody coming in and hanging a, say 500 pictures for you throughout throughout a building complex you need to have some kind of contract saying measure from here to here measure from here to here put this in put this on and fix it here with these fixings because the bottom line is you got to treat the builder like you stick and you got to treat yourself like you're thick and put the plan together like you're putting it together for a thick person and it might be logical to you but i've realized don't ever 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 go on assumptions don't ever go on handshakes even if it's even it, well i don't know i was about to say even if it's your mum but my mum's cool so we're all good <laughs> on that but <laughs> your mum's your savior man no. okay so okay so i think we okay with your example there i think the lessons i can extract are don't be so busy that you can't read important things like i think when you when it comes to being busy of course, you know, you had a million and one things to do and we all do and we've got important things, but anything to do with legals, anything that will cost you or destroy you or your family or your assets, which a contract can do very easily, not very easily, but the, the writing can do easily. You need, this needs to be a pillar of your business, like legals. Look at any established business. They have in-house general counsel. They have lawyers. They have people reading contracts. You send them a contract for a, a deal. They'll take two weeks to get back to you. Even if it's as simple as a, I don't know, getting pencils, they will read that MFN contract. And you have to be the same, especially when it comes to property, because property is so geared towards the tenants. Even when the tenants are being total idiots and they deserve to be kicked out, I don't really care. They're not paying rent, not in, not in coronavirus, but generally if they're not paying rent because they're lazy or they're just dicks, they should be kicked out instantly in my opinion, but they can't be. It's the same thing when you're signing rent to rent contracts and this, that, and the other. I've recently been looking at rent to rent contracts for someone. And I looked at the first iteration that he got sent. And I was like, look, this is not legal advice. You must say that. And I sent like a, a full page of like, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. Cool. They came back with another contract and I looked at it again and was like, actually much better, but fundamentally you've got issues here because it, you know, basically some of these contracts say you can't kick us out unless, or in, we, or basically if you want, like if we don't pay the rent, you, you can kick us out. That's agreed. That's in the contract, but it says we will give vacant possession once the bailiffs come around. And I was like, hold on. So you haven't paid the rent. But yet this contract states like for a rent rent company that me as the landlord, I have to go through court and I have to get to the stage of getting those bailiffs over to kick you out instead of you just leaving like a sane business person when you haven't paid. Rent. So some, something like that, when it, and if they don't ever pay rent, which that obviously happened in your case, inevitably 
means that you're going to be there thinking, why did I sign this? Like never feel under pressure to sign something because it's very easy for people to be like, yeah, here's a contract, man. Just sign it. You know, yeah, happy days. But when you look at it and when you actually review it and it locks you into certain things, it's like, hold on a minute. And like some contracts like the one I read will be 90% fair, no comments, spot on. Like, wow, this, they're really looking after me. Then there'll be that one clause, usually at the end, usually after you've read the source and you're like, oh, great, they really care about me. There'll be that one clause that fucks you. And then, and, and you only have yourself to blame because you put your name to that contract, you sign it, you, you have a problem. So I think, look, you could pay a solicitor to review every contract that you get sent to invest in someone, to be your rent to rent, to manage your, pro- you could, and it would be very, very costly. If you're not good at legalities or legalese, I think is the word, I'm just a nice word, then make friends with a solicitor or find a trainee solicitor and ask them to look at it for you and just work something out. Alternatively, I would prefer if everyone had just the, which a lot of people do, just the basic knowledge to read through. And if there's any clauses that you think, hmm, just look, if you don't know anyone, just put it on Facebook. Yeah, you're going to get some people, oh, go pay a solicitor. Oh, why are you putting it on Facebook? Fuck off. Put it on Facebook and ask people, hey, you know, have people seen this clause before? What does this mean? You know, can anyone make sense of it? And I bet you an actual solicitor will comment and say, hey, by the way, I think it means this. So don't leave your contracts to chance, no matter who they're with. And like James said, especially with builders. Now with builders, obviously it depends on your circumstance, but I, I pay them per per bit of work that's done. So I'm never really like in debt to them. They never really have any money over me, which means if I didn't have a contract, then, you know, whatever, but I still do. And you still have a schedule of works. What I'd say is things that I said verbally can still be contracts, but good luck proving it. Firstly, secondly, even if you have email exchanges and you have a, what is it? A sort of, uh, not even explicitly, but as long as it's obvious, you know, that you've kind of agreed on some work, it can still form an agreement or a type of contract. So you kind of have some protection, but you have the minimal level of protection. That's like basically going into a volcano um, wearing foil. I mean, you're going to get burnt, right? But you've got foil on, so you might survive an extra 10 seconds, but you want to go into the volcano fully kitted out. I don't know why I thought of that image. Um, so when it comes to contracts, get someone qualified to read it. I think AI has dropped a message in here. He's happy to help people with contracts. Um, I think he's a trainee, trainee solicitor or trainee lawyer, lawyer or barrister, um, or get good at it yourself and don't ever feel pressured to just sign a contract because you, you can sign away a lot of stuff and James, the same with bridging, right? When we do bridging loans, we, we essentially sign away everything, right? Yeah, you got to, they've got a full debenture over your whole company. And it's always a win-win for them. Always, always. And again, they don't have your back. Oh, you've got a good relationship with them. Oh, that's nice. They'll take your house. And it's in yeah. the paperwork. And your solicitor, obviously, which is what you're paying for, the ILA will say to you, look, do you understand that XYZ can happen? So when they talk, the first sort of time, pay attention. But after that, you'll kind of know, yes, I know you can take everything and anything. 
but you have to be awake to that because when shit hits the fan and they're like, yeah, hey, we're going to take your asset over there because you, we've got a debenture. And you're like, but you can't do that. They're like, well, here's your signature, bro. <laughs> we do what we yeah. like. Put your pen to something. You put your blood to it. Um, so just be very, very careful with contracts. Any other tips uh, on contract change? I know you're an expert at reading contracts and stuff. So, No, I think, like you said, if you're one of those people who are you know, a creative and you haven't got that in your personality or in your makeup that you want to read uh, legal bits like that, find yourself a, a decent solicitor to do it for you. And like you said, Ayers read a contract for me last week. He, he looked at a contract for me and just gave me some advice on that. So yeah, yeah. Make sure you've got a good solicitor or a lawyer in your power team, because again, he's going to be worth his weight in gold. I concur. Um, what else is there on contracts? I think when it comes to maybe creating your own contract, depending on what it is, it's generally worth paying a sister to do it. Now, most listers will say, oh, my hourly rate's 230 quid, 250 quid. And ooh, one of these uh, loan agreements, which I've got on my shelf and it's just a draft, it's going to take me about ooh, seven hours. I've got to type out everything. You're going to be like, jog on, mate. And there's some who will say, look, it's fairly simple. Be about an hour or two. And you're going to hate having to pay 250 quid per hour to write something that you know is freely available online. But it makes a big difference. It protects you and your investors. And if your investors can see it's professionally written, you could get hundreds, millions of thousands of pounds in investment more because they see the thing and they're like, well, this is legit. I have, you know, this, guy, this guy or girl is serious. Let's go ahead with it. So just think about what you're investing in it not what you're spending on it, but also relationships. JV agreements can cost thousands of pounds. I'm getting one done for free. I don't know how the hell I've managed to get it done for free. And it's quite a complex one, but I am because of relationships, because of business has been introduced. So sometimes after a while, you'll be able to be a bit cheeky and be like, look, what we say in, you know, how can we work this out? And then solicitors will read contracts for you for free. So just to add yeah. to that as well, um, we've used Law Depot before, which is like an online thing that has basic mm. contracts on there. So I think it's a subscription of about 60, 70 quid for the whole year. And it will have basic kind of tenancy agreements, basic things. But again, they do say that you, you may want to get it checked by a lawyer. But um, considering they're called the Law Depot, I'm imagining some lawyer at some point has wrote it. Mm. Yeah, I've heard of them. And Rocket Law as well. So have a look at things like that. It can be a lot, lot cheaper, but obviously just make sure, like maybe check with a, I don't know how you're going to do that, but yeah, just double check the reviews on sites like this. And if people have ever had to claim on these kind of packages and maybe just ask us lister in passing, I just say, look, what do you think about these sites? You know, blah, blah, blah. And then kind of go from there. Um, So, I think we've reached the queue. Uh, oh, Ruby has bad experiences with Rocket Law. Awkward. Um, okay. So, do we have any questions? Uh, Alfred, you had a question. If you're happy to ask that, uh, unmute your mic and just ask. Hey, James. Hey, mate. You're right. I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Very well. It was just regarding your business, obviously your previous business. I was thinking, was it something you'd, you'd go back into potentially? Like, would you go and buy a business that potentially is failing and knowing how to improve it now? Make it um, more, I guess. 
turn it around and potentially sell it on for a flip. I, I, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure at the moment, man. I mean, especially with stuff going on with COVID, I've seen a lot of print companies in massive, massive difficulties. Like they yeah. seem for a lot of my previous connections, they seem to be massively hit. And what I can't believe is some of the biggest firms are only running on three or four months cash flow, which really just kind of made me think, yeah. wow, would I go back into it? I, I probably wouldn't know. Because being out of it now, I know what can be achieved more in property, and it's it's a lot more more attractive than than a print firm. Fair enough. Fair enough. Cool. Anyone else have any questions? You will be featured on the podcast if you ask a question. So I don't know if you want that or not, but we will stay live. Oh, James, are there any questions on Facebook? Uh, are there any questions on Facebook? Mm, hold on not that I can see any no no there's a, I can't see all the comments for some reason cool so I think we will end we actually finished in quite a in quite a good time yeah we didn't go on for 30 minutes amazing well look, everyone thank you so much for joining us i hope this has been useful um look if you want any contacts when it comes to solicitors brokers all the stuff that me and james talk about we use different people i think for everything so speak to us um more than happy to introduce you maybe if your broker or your solicitor has said something and you want to check it off with a different one or just want to be introduced just give us a shout uh, and we shall help. And if this has been useful, please take a picture of this screen with a uh, James face on it and put it on your Instagram, put it on your Facebook, and we will be live next Thursday at 10 a.m. Certainly will. <laughs> Amazing. See everybody later. Thank Bye you. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.